Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, edgy folk. How are we doing? How's things? Uh, gosh, what a day. I mean, despite the fact I think it's approaching two decades since I took my GCSEs, I still feel absolutely sick every year, as I'm sure anyone who has children, knows children, has anybody linked to any kind of education at the moment. I can just see Brent's coming in here, he's listening to me already. So today, of course, is a big day with plenty to talk about, plenty to discuss. But before we get cracking with proceedings, I just want to remind you, um, today of all days, I'm afraid, but uh, might as well. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French and German Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the need of all learners, regardless of their background or their ability or reason for studying. And this is all rooted in language learning. So yes, already thinking ahead to next year, if you want to know more about these GCSEs, then you can go to go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Brent, who I know is very eagerly ready and raring to get going. So over to you, my friend. How are you doing? Emotionally drained. Um, Like many others last night, I didn't sleep. Uh, I always have that kind of... um, I'm a bit like the football manager who kicks every ball on the football pitch. I'm one of those. And um, it's always uh, really, really, you know... People talk about getting six weeks holidays, don't they? Mm-hmm. You teachers get six weeks holidays. They don't understand that, you know, halfway through your holidays, you go through this, which I can only describe as the Love Actually moment, you know, that lovely scene at the end of Love Actually when you have that, that those moments of pure, unadulterated human emotion. Of course. And and you, you have, you know, the, the agony and the ecstasy. It can only be described pretty much like the the, the Mary Earps moment last week. You know, you, you have, while watching the football, you have that, huge emotions of you know somebody's done well but then there's also you look over your shoulder at somebody else who's not done so well and it's 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 bittersweet I always find it kind of bittersweet and there's there's always the story and the, the thing is uh, at the all about board I mean I'll start with this which I think is it sums up how I always feel about it and it's the uh, the London Underground all about board which is always full of um, great little philosophical tidbits and humor <laughs> and it says GCSEs we all know and many of you have been feeling nervous and don't deserve to feel like this. Many of you have had trouble sleeping the night before. <laughs> Congratulations if you got what you wanted. But if you didn't, please try not to worry. Whatever your grades, you're worth a million times more. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's absolutely nailed on. Funny, I've seen that perpetuated in the media a little bit of there's not the exams are important. But when it comes down to it, they're individual children and there's a story, an educational story where some of them have done well this time, but maybe they had, you know, uh, a different journey when they were younger. And I was reading um, all sorts of great, you know, individual uh, stories of children who are migrants who've come over and they're doing their um, their GCSEs in hotel rooms and, you know, children who've survived, you know, cancers and they've, they've got their exam results. And we all know individual kids that I've taught today, there, there was a story behind some of them. Um I had uh, one of my, my two girls with me today this morning and I took them in, hid them in my classroom while I was doing all the statistics and numbers. And I have that, right, let's go see the kids. Let's let's go 
see the envelopes handed out because I always look forward to that day. I look forward to it. But I felt bad this morning because I was nervous. I was more nervous than I normally would be because I got that feeling of we're being told the exam grades are going to be pulled down. And uh, I didn't have a normal kind. I normally get more excited. I, I, I find myself feeling um, a glass half empty last guy last night, dreading the exam results day, dreading the questions. And that's not normally me after 20 years of teaching. That's the first time I've probably had that feeling of dread um, because I normally look forward to seeing the exam results because the mood music was, this is going back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, I was going to ask on... you, I was going to ask you, Brent, just kind of because, I mean, I've definitely seen this sort of, there's been an emotional spectrum, of course, all across Twitter, but we still are. Mm. And I, I, I always refer to it as the COVID hangover, which I probably shouldn't, but it's still very much part of, you know, what's what's happening today isn't it It hasn't just things haven't gone back to normal have they there's still a huge impact a huge lasting impact from what has gone on in the last few years absolutely anecdotally on my own going through individual students i have 37 students over two classes Um, and the first thing i do is i go out greet the kids and have those moments see the parents shake hands and and a couple of hugs i've got a jellyfish given to me um one one of my absolute quirky students She's, a, she's amazing, absolutely high-flying student, but yeah, just basically needs to be told how brilliant she is, but always is hard on herself. Well, the one, the one that you give the exam back to, the mock exam back to, and she looks for the one question she got wrong, and you're going, what about the 25 others you did well? And, but I, she knitted these little baby jellyfish in crochet. So what would you do that for? She's, well, the last two days, this is what she's been doing with all her nervous energy. She's been knitting. And she'd give a couple of them to my, my two children. So, and, and it's just, those type of things where you think what 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 we what we put our children through you know it's 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 horrible attendance is i'll go through the statistics in in a couple minutes attendance is not right we've ghosted children the disadvantaged versus the advantaged we're not back to normal and then there's this humdinger why is northern ireland exam grades this is the first thing ever in northern ireland's history that they've won something good luck to them but why are Northern Ireland's exam grades 20% better than England's? What? Better than London's? That's not right. How come children in Wales were getting help, but children in England don't get help? I mean, th- th- we have an unfair system, and then we have parts of the United Kingdom at different stages giving help, and then parts of the United Kingdom not even giving, you know, one to nine. They're giving, you know, A and Bs. So we have a very confusing system and a very confusing system. What happens next when it comes to resets and it comes to um, uh, courses, what, tea, what are T-levels? So it's a very um, a very confusing thing this morning. Even when I looked at the exam grades for my children, I was asking myself the question, have, I, have they done well? How have I done? How have they done well? It's very, you know, oh, we have to see the value added. And you get all these Fisher Family Trust, you get all the data being crunched kind of takes the joy out of it because I went in kind of seen individual students on a natural high, saw some fantastic results. And then when I went in my room and started crunching the numbers and looking on the spreadsheets, my heart started to sink. And then I looked at grade boundaries and I saw that I had three students, three out of my 37 students are one mark off a grade boundary. And those are significant grade boundaries. We're talking three to four and four to five. And for three to four, that's pass to fail. So I now have to go through and, and, and get those scripts marked and go through the process. So I've already been in contact with one of the parents. They, they emailed me and said, look, we just noticed that. 
because that's the other thing the students could see how far off they were on the grade boundaries because they got that with their GCSEs they got their grade and they also were told you know what what the the, the number they got as well was so that was interesting conversations of well what do we do what do we do now and, and again having conversations across um, the Twitter sphere today there's a lot of questions to be asked of which we built on last week we, we had this discussion last week about air levels about moderation about the quality assurance about the accuracy of the grade the grades themselves and, and the, the you know the the lack of uh, oversight so we, we have a very strange exam system that I'll be honest with you I think Jeff Barton summed it up this morning very well for me it was designed in the 1980s um, you said it's been two decades since you've done yours. It's three decades since I've done mine. It's uh, 29, nearly 30 years since I had my GCSEs. It shouldn't be the case that I should be still using the same sort of system that I was taught to. And I'm, you know, practically mid to near the end of my teaching career. That's the world's moved on. GCSEs should have evolved by now. We shouldn't be using them any longer. And this idea of going back to 2019 as if 2019 was halcyon days of the good old days as if 2019 was some sort of golden era before a pandemic. That's not good enough, because it wasn't right then. But to go back and say, oh, we're going back to 2019, because then things were okay in 2019. No, they weren't. There was a massive gap in attainment between boys and girls. There's a massive gap in regions. And we know that GCSEs are not always going to predict and get the best out of some pupils. So I think there's a missed opportunity. I'm really disappointed. I thought, again, during the COVID crisis, that what would, what would come out of the whole thing of the rogue algorithm and what would come out of the way that the system was flawed and exposed as flawed as it was, I thought that was the opportunity. And maybe I'm naive and, and optimistic and, and idealistic to believe that the guys in charge would have saw how bad, I mean, he's not there any longer, the fireplace salesman who was our education secretary who used to have a whip on his desk. But here's the thing. I would have thought that they saw that straight off and thought, this isn't working. It's taken until January this year to call a, an inquiry into the hundreds of thousands of children who are missing from education. I mean, it's taken to January this year um, to do that. And you think, well, we, we've been saying that since pretty much the start of the pandemic. We've, we've lost a significant proportion of children. And attendance has dropped off. I mean, I've got some of the attendance figures, which I'll go through as well. So that's the headline figure of a very confusing system. Um, the very confusing sort of as to what is good or bad any longer. I, I think the whole system's starting to get to the point where what actually is it good for? Is it, is it, are these GCSEs just good for getting yourself into the next stage of your qualifications? And for a lot, that will be A-levels. Um but if it's T-levels, we saw last week that 33% dropout on T-levels. So there isn't that security of what do your GCSEs get? And I'm sure we, we had in the conversation this morning with anybody who, on the media saying, nobody will ask you what your GCSEs are in 10 years' time. But are we at that stage where, you know, all it is is GCSEs are just a means to an end to get you to the next stage of your educational career? If that's fine, then why do we sit GCSEs? Why don't we do an aptitude test like to do SATs in America? Why do we put our children through these horrible exams, which break some, they do. They just absolutely break some children. It's an endurance test. And then judge the quality of teachers based on that. And that gives me a chance to have a shout out to um, Tom's show on Monday night, which was absolutely exceptional. 
um, really good show, um, very deep and intellectual. One of those things you get in teachers talk radio sometimes and you go, wow, I'm, I'm going to listen back to that. And I think Tom even said that with a pen and piece of paper. And there was some fantastic ideas of actually DNA. <laughs> Who knew that your genetics could have an impact? Of course it does on your educational attainment. Well, of course it does. That, that, that's so obvious that we probably overlooked that. And Tom was asking, what effect does, does a teacher have? And I think the great Dylan Williams was, was suggesting it can make a difference up to half a grade. Well, well, that's all very well. But when they've shifted my history papers by 8% today, <laughs> that's great and fantastic. You know, mathematics, they were telling me that there was 22 marks between the grade boundaries year on year. Um, and it's not fair when you're having, you're having to be the face of this, when you're talking to parents and they go, what does five mean? You're thinking, well, five means this in England. It doesn't mean this in Scotland. It doesn't mean anything in Northern Ireland. And and you're like, well, how confusing it must be for some parents. I don't think everybody understands the system. And, and even some people in the examination system don't understand the examination system. So I, I think the time has come, and I'm, I'm going to add my voice to it, like Jeff Barton, um, like Gary Neville said last last week about you know the A levels, they are archaic, they're ancient, and it is time. I think we, I think the union's going to have to get it pushier on this. It's time for educational reform when it comes to testing our children. It's just not producing any sorts of results. Um, we saw this morning very difficult questions to Nick Gibb on BBC Breakfast, and um, we saw him on. And he was doing the round, so he was sent out as a sacrificial lamb this morning. And he had his usual kind of pre-prepared stuff of, we have £5 billion worth of funding. And you're going, yeah, great, fantastic. £5 billion worth of funding. That's a drop in the ocean of what we need to catch up on COVID. By the way, it was £15 billion that was promised. And, and where is that £5 billion? Um, And he was talking, oh, yeah, we were closing the gap. We were closing the gap until COVID hit. And it's just set us back. And we're closing what gap? The gap closing the gap between what? The less affluent and disadvantaged students? No, you weren't. Academization has failed. All the reforms of Gove have failed. The outcomes are quite clear that there is a massive disadvantage gap between regions and within regions and schools. There is a huge postcode lottery and a massive disadvantage gap and, and a variation even within the greater United Kingdom. Our education system is, for want of a better word, stagnant um, in comparison to Estonia and other parts of the world who have a better, I think, philosophy of what the purpose of education is i think we're losing sight of it and, and that's where the exam results are important and you know getting the qualifications are important but to a certain extent i had a conversation with a student today and um he got a four for me he's predicted a seven now somebody might come in and say to me oh that student's three grades below you're a terrible teacher but the story behind that's quite simple that that, that student was getting one-to-one tuition for myself after school um, and, and literally on the back of myself, which is said, this kid's struggling. I want to see it. Come on, come on after school. Have a cup of tea with me. Sit down. And it became a little bit of a thing, and a couple of other students joined in as well. And he got nine in his maths. He got a nine in his maths. He's now getting an apprenticeship with one of, the, one of the leading manufacturers in the country. And I says, well, you know, I, I walked up, and I was expecting, oh, God, I'm really sorry you only got a four in history. And I was, you know, I was expecting him to be disappointed and say, I've let you down, sir. He goes, I did all right, didn't I? I'm going, yeah, are you happy with that? Do you know what, sir? Considering where I was last year and this time last year, I am more than happy with that. And then he looked straight down and he went, look, I got my nine. That's really important. And I'm naturally good at nine. And his mum came over and says, thanks for all the work you've done. Thanks for everything. You helped him out. 
It's like, well, what? I'd just give them revision timetables and kept make sure there was somebody there to, to, to talk to sometimes. You just needed somebody to talk to. But here's what it comes down to. I'm going to have those data meetings. And whether I like it or whether I don't, I, as the subject teacher, I'm going to lose point whatever of a grade on my residuals. At the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I would have just liked you to have got the grade so I don't have to have that conversation. And that, again, is where I have this one side of me saying, I'm really proud of all the hard work I've done with that child. And that child will remember all the hard work that I've done for him. But at the other side of it, how I'm judged is, well, I failed. I failed because he didn't achieve in my subject. And I think that story, I think, gets replicated up and down the country about how we as teachers, Tom alluded to it earlier on about we fall upon our swords, we feel guilty, we feel as if we've let down. And I, I went through that emotional ringer today. So I'm mostly tired after that of, of, of searching my soul, going through every child and going, why did they do well? Why did they not do well? What was the what was the key deciding factor? Going through every exam paper, started looking at my exam papers. Was it that paper? Was it this paper? Did I not prepare enough for that? I've started even drilling into exam questions. What was it this question? Because I want to know, because I want my students to do well. But then I felt bad about myself thinking I've got caught into this thing and forgotten the key most important thing. I didn't go into education to destroy children to get exam grades. In education to change outcomes. And I kind of went, as I went home, I thought to myself, catch, go away, I'll use the Northern Irish vernacular, go away and catch yourself on Poland because you've made a difference to those children. And the ones that sought me out and said, look, thanks for your grades, I've got eights and nines and stuff. The ones that did well were honest with me and said, I worked hard for that. Others, sometimes they got what they deserved. They put in what they got back out. And there's just a handful of I look and think, oh, you just, what's, what's, what's going wrong there? But that's where we are with the system. I don't think it's fair. So I'm really looking forward to hearing some of your stories. That's that's pretty much the story I'm gonna gonna say today. Um, and I don't want to, as, as Lucy says, you know, I, I can talk for an hour and a half about everything. I don't want to do that. I want to hear as much um, as possible from as many of you as possible on the story of the day. I, I want to explore. They drill into the data, um, the disadvantage, the advantage, the regional variations, the boy and girl gap as well. Um, I want to have a look at that. I want to look at the attendance issues, the attendance figures and the connection between those and, and obviously what's happening with um, the ghost children, as mentioned. I want to have a look at, again at this, this idea of grade deflation. Is it a fair grade? It's the only thing this government ever actually wants to deflate. Um, you know, apart from inflation, of course, but they always want growth. It's funny that we want economic growth, economic growth, economic growth. What is wrong with our children getting better? I don't get this philosophy about why should we be pulling our children down? I just don't get this logic of surely our children year on year should be making vast improvements. Surely the grades they're getting should be vastly improving. Because the quality of teaching, I'm going to be honest with you, my colleagues, I've never worked as hard, and I know that a lot of you feel exactly the same way I do. We've never worked as hard in education to get these outcomes. And and we have, you know, really upped our game in, in brain physiology. Look, just listen to Teacher Talk Radio. Here we have a radio station dedicated to getting better at our craft. So we are at top of our game. You know, we I don't think we as a generation of teachers in the UK... Um, or could do more. In fact, a lot of people are leaving the profession because they feel as if 
how much more can you squeeze out of us as a profession? I don't think there's much more to be squeezed. Because if, we, if we're squeezed anymore, there'll be people like me saying, I'm done with this. And I love this job. I love being a teacher. I loved lots of what happened today. That's the, the captain, my captain moments that sustain you throughout the year. Those, those, those horrible days that you have when you think, those moments when you see those children open those exam results, when you see the smiles on their faces, it's Christmas time. It really is Christmas when you've got children and you know if you're a parent that that feeling you get when your children open up their Christmas present is very similar to watching a child open up their exam results and you see that look in their faces and you just go, wow, yes. And it's brilliant to be part of that. It's absolutely amazing to be part of that. Brent, Brent um, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, oh, fantastic. Adam's oh, alive. Yeah. I wanted to call him. Like, I was, I, I, was I, being held captive. You no, know, no. It's, 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 it's always difficult to um, know I'm when to interrupt. I was, I was just, just going to just do a quick reminder. Sorry, I'm just in the middle of, I'm in the middle of nowhere up in the northeast. I'm, in, I'm just trying to do my best to get a signal. Um, but I thought it might be. Normally at this point, I give uh, Brent a finger in the kidneys for the sponsors. Uh, so I thought you could just oh, yeah. have a look at uh, uh, the Pearson's MFL. Why, why, oh, yeah. Well, I think I could lead into. No, let, let me do this. Well, I just thought it'd be an opportunity just for everyone to kind of catch up on what you said already um, and give people an opportunity to kind of maybe put the hand up ready and we'll cue some people up ready to speak um, and get their thoughts on today while, whilst you're going through the sponsor. Yes, well, there is a lead into the sponsor. Entries in Spanish jumped up um, by 11.3%, and they reckon that it's got to do with summer holiday habits. I don't think it is that. I actually think it's to do with language teachers um, realizing Spanish is a language that is more on the up, i.e., more useful in the United States of America. I've noticed that our school was mostly predominantly French speaking, and there is a definite transition towards. Spanish. Um, so, but they suggest that Spanish is on track to overtake French as the most popular language GCSE. That's really fun. interesting. And I think the whole point about Pearson MFL's new GCSEs from 2024 is that you don't need to have gone on holiday to Malaga or to Bordeaux or to Montpellier or to Cadiz if you want to do French or Spanish or German um, even as a GCSE because the whole point about the new Pearson MFL GCSEs is they're transparent and they are accessible um, and they're rooted in learned language knowledge and you don't have to have gone on a ski holiday to complete your speaking assessment because it's designed to be accessible to all students regardless of their background or their reason for studying and that's what's so great about these new Pearson NFL GCSEs that are coming in. Which is our sponsor, which is on point because there we have a rise in, in modern foreign languages. Uh, on the other side of it, they... There's an interesting sort of take on, on the subjects that are least popular. Entries of music's gone down. So music, the art subjects have gone down. Numbers of students taking Chinese has doubled since 2019. And while those taking Russian as GCSE has increased by 53%. That's got to be linked with uh, resources, hasn't it? Well, I think also it's got to be linked to the, the, um, the refugee situation with regards to the number of uh, children coming in from the Ukraine. So I'll tell you that increase. And quite a few of them are Russian speak as well in Ukrainian and, and I found that out when, when I had a, a Ukrainian refu refugee well he, he's a fantastic individual and I put up on my um, PowerPoint uh, the subtitles which I've started to do you know, I, I put subtitles on my PowerPoint so kids can follow because I put like 50% of the kids these days are actually watch a movie 
with subtitles on, so they, they just got so used to that. But I, I and then I had to put Ukrainian on, and, and he sort of the next lesson he's like, "Why, sorry, if you put Ukrainian?" And I went, "You speak Ukrainian? No, I speak Russian." <laughs> so it was an interesting insight into that, and that's why probably our Russian's gone up. But that's the point about GCSEs have got to evolve, which is why our sponsor is a GCSE, which is evolving to meet the needs of our learners. And it's good to see that. And then that's obviously more than foreign languages that are. They're not just languages, they're modern foreign languages. And the idea of languages are, you know, you learn your own language. I mean, I always sort of get students say to me, what's the point in learning French and never going to live in France? Will you translate that language into your own language, which helps, again, your command of your own language? So that's Pearson's Modern modern Foreign Language uh, 2024, which is ready to go, and our sponsor. So, Adam. Yeah, just, just one of the interesting things. We left last, last week, obviously, with all the differences across the country in different exam boards, everything else. We kind of went away going, what is the big picture going to be like this Thursday? One of the thoughts, one of the things that I, I saw today, which I never knew, maybe you can shed some light on this, in Northern Ireland, why do they have like a C star? I noticed that. There was like, there was like a middle grade, an, an extra kind of grading within that boundary. Uh, so you can get like a C, a C it's star. It's 29 years since I did my GCSEs in Northern Ireland, and I'm 21, 20 years teaching in England. So, yeah, lots uh, change yeah. back there. But they still yeah. use they still use grades. They still use um, yeah. they still use grades. I remember actually, I was the first uh, first year in Northern Ireland to actually have GCSEs stars in in the mid 90s. Um, and, and and incidentally, the only one I got was an IART was the yeah, artist or yeah who knew um but yeah there, there's a very different education system you've got to factor in they, they have a transference exam which is the equivalent of the 11 plus they have okay. grammar schools yeah um, which are based upon ability not ability to pay the grammar yes. schools are still weighted towards the two dominant religions so you have yeah. catholic grammar schools protestant grammar schools. there isn't in there is a lot more integrated education and that's growing but they still dominated by the, the socio-political situation in Northern Ireland. It's really but, interesting because one, mm-hmm. one of the things as well that came out, Sutton Trust have done some fantastic analysis straight away today, and one of the things that they posted was how far grammar scores were above both independent schools and uh, way above, obviously, comprehensive schools um, in today's results again. Um, and I thought that was an interesting kind of viewpoint is kind of grammar scores don't seem to be affected by any of this kind of grade reduction. Their, their grading seems to be fairly flat across the last couple of years. Um, so I think that I don't know if that's worth just looking at later. Um, but we also mentioned last week about this big rise in the, the pluses in London. And then obviously across the middle of the country, you have that big reduction uh, from grazing from 2019 again. Um, so I thought that they were the two bits that I picked out of the Sutton Trust data today, uh, yeah. that where these uh, differences are starting to come through. Really interesting this time in the Northeast, we spent a lot of time talking to someone in the Northeast uh, last Thursday around uh, A-levels, is that actually they were, they were a lot further down in the Northeast. Today they were just slightly up, I think it was 1.3% uh, up on 2019. Um, and London was at plus, plus two. So I don't know why the Northeast has uh, managed to jump up a little bit, but across the middle of the country, it's looking pretty desperate. Um, I don't know where if you can call it the Red Wall or that kind of left behind regions. Uh, I, you think know, is, I mean, Labour, Labour's shadow ministers basically put the knife in by saying that, you know, um, they're proof that the government's levelling up agendas failed. The political party aims to reduce imbalances between areas and social groups in the UK, including schools, 
look, don't say how they're going to do it, but they say they are. Children in disadvantaged communities aren't going to do as well as children in more affluent areas, um, which actually Nick Gibb himself, to his credit, he had a very awkward um, interview this morning on BBC Breakfast. It was cringeable. Um, and he, he got right, quite riled up when the BBC interviewer was like, look, the, disadv- the advantage and disadvantage gap has widened. You know, you've had a chance to close that. And he was like, well, no, 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 no. And, and in fact, what he did say was, I've actually got it here. He, he, he suggested that they were closing the gap and they had started to close the gap. But then, well, thing COVID came along and that put pay to it. And there was that, that was the narrative that was being spun this morning. We've given five billion quids towards catch up. Uh, we have uh, free schools being opened and you saw that idea. He even quoted Michael and went, oh, it can be done, it can be done. Here's a school in London. And I'm going, here it comes, here it comes. Yay, there it is, Michaela. And don't get me wrong, they are fantastic. I'm not having a go at the, you know, how successful that's yeah, I mean, we, we, don't, we don't want to do that, do we? We don't want, we don't want to kind of diss the, the London schools here. I mean, no. All, all schools should be getting a rise. Yeah. Um, so so the, the question is, is, you know, what is happening in London that's clearly not happening in the East Midlands, the West Midlands, uh, you know, the Ma- Manchester area? in Northern Ireland? Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is, which is, which is and, and what's happening in Wales as mm. well. And, and, and we know the answer to that is going to be is that they're in a different system. They, their children had got more help. They were given more help. It's as simple as that. English children were disadvantaged. So English children were disadvantaged, and you've got the most disadvantaged in England. Well, well it's, 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 more, it's more nuanced than that, because it's, 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 it's students um, in the outer, out of London and not in the northeast, who are the biggest disadvantaged. So, so what is going on in those regions that's given those children such a big impact? Is it? I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of research I've been reading over the last couple of days, just still on long COVID. Are some are some children in certain regions just more? Uh, are they still off? Are they still poorly? Are they just not accessing education in those regions? Uh, is 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 there something kind of? I think we really need to understand, especially as we teach in the Midlands. What is going on in the Midlands to have this uh, persistent problem all the time? Um, you know, we, we know, for example, don't we, because we've worked in the Nottingham, Nottinghamshire area. That's always, and Derbyshire area, has performed particularly poorly over the last, you know, 10 years. Lack um, of funding, lack yeah. of cultural capital, lack of... Uh... Lack of drive, motivation. There's a whole there's a whole load of socioeconomic statistics yeah. in that. But, 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 go back but, to your attendance but, thing. So yeah, yeah. Absence is the most pronounced among people from poorest households. Who knew? Among those eligible free school meals, one in seven, thirteen point six percent, was absent for any given day during the first term of the school year. Almost twice the rate among their peers, and up from nine point two percent in autumn. So we have children on free school meals are more likely to be absent. We've seen an absolute huge growth in all authorised absences to 15.4 million days of unauthorised absence. Uh, we have late holiday on other authorised. So we have a whole group of children out there who are just not turning up for school. Um, so that's, you know, we're seeing we're seeing that situation where we've got a whole sort of um, situation where we have children who just aren't at school. We have illness at 12.6 million days, uh, other 2.7. We've got 1.2 million days lost with exclusion. But all of this is leading to a lack of attendance. Now, you are GCSEs. You take something like my, my history GCSE. The amount of content I have with these GCSEs, you that we miss days. It's a bit like, you know, back in the days of university, you missed one lecture and you come to the lecture afterwards, you're thinking, 
what's going on here? Did I miss something important? Then you don't bother going to the next one after with that because you think, I'm already behind. And you just go write your essay and hopefully try and get yourself over the line. That was my first year at university. That's how these children probably feel. You know, it's, once children start going off school, it's hard to get them back in. We've got a lot of children missing, those ghost children. And they are disproportionately impacted in correct areas where there is deprivation and you're correct along COVID and COVID rates were higher in more deprived areas. So put the whole thing together. You have illness, you've got um, higher long COVID rates. Of course, schools which are less well-funded would have had more, um, less ventilation. You know, I'm sure there is going to be people out there and, and this is for the academics out there going to crunch the numbers and come yeah. up with something that's going to come along the lines and said, if you were in a disadvantaged area, you are more likely to suffer from COVID. In fact, if you are more of an ethnic minority, you are more likely to live in a disadvantaged area. Therefore, you're more likely to suffer from COVID. That's what the whole Black Lives Matter thing is about. You are more likely, therefore, to not do as... And there are always outliers to that. And parts of London are outliers to that. But when you start getting into the deindustrialized areas of the Midlands, which don't have the heavy industry they used to have, those sink housing estate schools... It's really tough. It really is because you're fighting against a lot of things. And I think behavior comes into it. Attitude comes into it. Um, I think also that driving motivation of, sure, it's only GCSEs. Oh, well, you'll be okay. And I think that's starting to filter into society now. Don't worry if you don't get your GCSEs. I know a billionaire who didn't get them. I'm noticing no more of those conversations of, so don't worry. You'll be okay. There's, it's strange to see that flippancy. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not that. As you remember in England, that in, it's compulsory now to get your maths and English. So there's going to be a heavy impact there on retakes next year. Yeah. Um, and you know, especially if those children who have, you know, been disaffected by school have then chosen a college place with a vocational course that better suits their outcomes, are going to go back around this merry-go-round of of research next year. And, you know, is, is there a resource there, even the maths teachers and English teachers, to do that? Yeah. Um, because that's going to be even a bigger impact now those students have dropped off the bottom. And here, again, heads warn disadvantaged pupils would be hard at by resets. Who knew? Schools across England are expecting a large number of students were required to retake their GCSE English and maths, as 40,000 more students were likely to fail. Pupils who remain in full-time education have not gained at least a level four equivalent to a lower C in English and maths have to reset the subjects until they're 18. The numbers are likely to rise as GCSE grading returns to tougher, tougher pre-pandemic levels. School leaders and teacher unions have called on the government to, to revise the requirement, warning that pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds are expected to be worst affected. Kevin Courtney, the outgoing Joint Secretary of the National Education Union, forcing resets is demotivating for many students, and the low pass rate is a clear sign of a policy failure. So he's yeah. getting, he's digging it in there. Educators know the weakness of the current system have not suggested and have suggested many alternatives. The government should think of of changing this outdated policy. Analysis by the, the Guardian newspaper showed that by 2022, 75% of pupils taking GCSE maths gained a four above, while 77% gained a four or better in English. Applying the 2009 grade proportions would cause both pass rates to drop by seven percentage points, so 37,000 more pupils would need to pass English and 25,000 more passing maths. And again, there's the cost implications, the opportunity cost. And of course, you know, you have, if they didn't get a first time round and they had a qualified teacher helping them, how, how is it going to be easier 
when they're on their own a little bit. You know that there's that aspect of you. You're, you know, well, like, well, I, I thought it'd be almost impossible. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand. I mean, like especially if you have, it's not like uh, a driving test, is it? Well, really? if, if you've taken a route that's maybe not even in education, I mean, it might be kind of almost like as an apprentice, mightn't it? Whereas you kind of you're with, with a centre that might keep you on in education. Uh, but you're not necessarily in a school or an education centre. Yeah, I don't know how just going through that is is going to is support. Um, Amy's just been in touch, Brent, uh, on the comments that says, and Amy, it'd be great if we, if we could hear you tonight and see what you think. But um, what can be done to help bridge the gap in the northeast and London uh, and the rest of the UK is is it is it purely a resource issue? Is it is it more money? Is that what's no. required? I, I mean, I come at this from a social science point of view as a, I mean, somebody who studied economic development. My actual original degree was economic development. And, and for me, um, I, I grew up in abject poverty with an unemployment rate of 45% during the Troubles. And I often reflect on how did I get out of that education? And one of the rescuing factors, we call it rescuing factors, was my parental's attitude. My parents' attitude was one of, you will do well, son. You will not fail. And I look at some of the children who, the, you know, I, I do well with and I look at their parents. It's, it's Today I had the conversations with some of their parents who were equivalent of my type of parents were, you know, driven, motivated and attitudinally sort of wired into I want my child to do well. I value education. I want my child. And sometimes, actually, those, those poor children are actually, it's it's the, it's, the, it's a tiger mom thing, isn't it? They, I mean, my own parents sometimes actually made mistakes of making me very competitive with my older brother. You know, you must do well. You must do. I've got 24 cousins on my dad's side of the family. 22 out of 24 went to university from working class family. And we were basically much set against each other, like in the burr pit of, oh, your cousin's done well as exams. Yeah. But that competition, that competitiveness, that I don't want to say aggressive, you know, parenting of you will do well. You, school is important. My, my, my exam results were put on the mantelpiece in my grandmother's house and pride of place because it meant something. And I think it has to come down to the value placed on education, how important it is to the child and the parents and the wider communities. And you cannot change those attitudes. No, you can't just flip a switch and expect people to then, you know, grow that attitude. Because but where, does, where does that come from? Does it come? Does it come locally? I mean, obviously, you work locally, don't you? Your community, yeah. or is it? Or is it a school's responsibility to go out into the local community and show how education can benefit everybody? Well, it can. But here's the here's the kicker. I turn around and I've seen it happen where I have I, I have one of my students today who, you know, is, is going to go to Cambridge. Her brother's at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty, pretty cool for, for, for a location in the school that we are. Yeah. But here's the thing. I know for a fact that she won't be staying around here. She'll get her degree and it'll be London. It'll yeah. be Dubai. It'll be Singapore. She's already talking. A 15-year-old saying to me a couple of months ago, uh, you know, in one of my after-school sessions, what, what's your, where's your future? I'm learning languages for a reason, Mr. Paul, I'm getting out of here. And that's the problem. You have such a brain drain. I'm a classic example of the brain drain myself. And that's the thing. You need to keep those young, enthusiastic, driven and motivated people with that culture of capital. But where are they going to be drawn to? They're going to be down in in the London or the Manchester, you know, the London of the north. They're going to be motivated towards going in Scotland. They're going to be to Edinburgh, Glasgow. You know, they're being pulled into those major metropolitan areas or even abroad. 
And and that's what we're losing now as well. So we, a lot of schools do a good job of trying to educate children and then see them fly the nest. And that's that's okay, but they don't come back into the communities and then invest. And it's got to be investment. It's got to be, you have to have the outcome. You have to have employers out there where you say, you, you know, gone to the days where you, there was a job for life. A lot of employment now is, is transient. And you say to your children, why should you work hard at school? For me, working hard at school was twofold. Working hard at school was a way to validate my self-worth. Of, like, I have done well. Here are my grades. This matters. I yeah. matter. It also was a way for me to say, let's get, let's, I want to get out of here. Because I knew I was going to go travel the world and do things. That was, that was one of my driving motivators behind it. Now, why aren't I living where I live, where I grew up? Because there just wasn't the opportunity. So if you want to level up, yeah, you, you, you can you can educate your children, but you've got to give them something yeah. to stay for. You've got to you've got to invest in the wider community. You've got to have the comp- confidence. Is the thing. There's yeah, Cassandra, who Cassandra, Cassandra just commented, Brand, that she completely agrees with you, and uh, a lot of parents don't engage with par- uh, children's education. Uh, we see it all the time, um, and it's the parents that you don't see at parents' evenings um, that that don't turn up and then are not engaged. Um, I, I kind of agree with what Cassandra is saying. However, I will say, kind of, we've got to remember that a lot of our children are working. I've got parents who are doing multiple jobs and work in the evening, and sometimes it's it's quite hard for them to to kind of engage. And sometimes I know if, if you can take the time, I know it's a really difficult thing to work life balance to try and call them at another time. Um, they do they do want to kind of engage, but they just find it difficult with their workload sometimes to to get in. So. Um, I agree with the sentiment that um, you know it's often the hardest um, students to engage. It's also hard to engage their parents and wider family as well. Um, well the thing is, poverty is cyclical, cyclical, yeah, and attitudes are cyclical. And yes, you're right about schools. Schools can it's that kind of captain my captain moment. We can be sometimes the rescuing factor. Yeah. And, and that... well, I, I walked. I worked in the school opposite to you, and the the, yeah. the proudest thing that I had uh, working there was what we had in our title, which was the community school. And I was absolutely devastated when that became an academy. And the, the first thing that went out of that was the community bit. Community feel, yeah. And I thought yeah. that that is that was the that was so heartbreaking uh, because because it was purely a, it was it was open. I remember, I remember kind of as I left sometimes at five six o'clock. We had these, um, you know, the old age pensioners come in and, and we used the workshops for their clock making yeah. club. Um, yeah. We obviously the sports things carried on a little bit, but there was it was around the clock community people coming in and out from the community all the time. But you see, and, the exams that you were doing back in 2010s in that community college, which was a working class area, which had some still has a low level light industry going on in manufacturing. And I thought it was brilliant what that school did because they yeah. were a technical based college that had less driven academically students and you worked to your strengths. You, you, you know, that produced what I thought I admired what your school used to do, your old school used to do. Because yeah, because we used to take people out to the farm I and mean, one of the heads of year owned a farm. Engineering um, firms used to come in and, and recruit yeah. directly from your school. That's right. Yeah. We literally pull them out. Yeah. It was almost like yeah. a scouting. And it all went with academization. Which, That's right, yeah. And, but, but and, the, that, but and, and you were then saying to some children, all of a sudden, out the community, but yeah. But, but so how, sudden, how, how do you outreach to people when you're literally like, if you think about what a school's become, if you look at that school, 
um, since, since I started in 2004, what I, what I noticed was fences going up, gates going up, communities get coming out the coming out the word it all it's, it's all it's all saying to the outward community stay away don't engage don't come in we don't want you in we want you away away we don't want you engaged in this you know it, visually it looks like we don't want you to, to know and i also think that's one of the reasons where you see a lot of news stories now are very negative about school i think a lot of people have lost affinity with their local school that's right yeah. they're more likely to ring into the local newspaper and say my child is not getting this. And and I noticed that I was having used to have more conversations with parents about how can my child make progress? What level is my child working at? Now I'm getting, why have you given my child a punishment? Why, why does the color of their hair matter? Ooh, I, they want to do this. They want to do that. Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? In other words, you're working against me. And it's like, I, I've said to a parent once, I said, you understand, I'm, I'm like a doctor, right? And I'm giving medicine to your sick child. Right. And I want them to get better. I want them to improve. My my role here is like a doctor. I want your child to improve and get better. That's my altruistic view here. And you are rejecting my medicine and then double questioning my ability to be a doctor. Fine. I'm going to go to my dentist next time and tell him how to drill teeth. If you want that, fine. Off you go. I'm going to have my drive instructor tell him how to drive instructor. I'm getting a bit fed up with this. I've been second guessed sometimes. I'm an academic professional educator. And I think a lot of us are just reaching that point where we're we just can't do any more some of this. We're being hamstrung with educational policy, which is pulling pulling in the wrong direction. And all the statistics and the data is is showing that. And then this idea of we were closing the gap until 2019 and COVID really put us back. I'm, I'm going to say it. That's, that's just educational, insert a swear word of choice. It's nonsense. We've not been closing the gap in the last couple of years. We've been pretty much doing what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result we've right. known for a generation that the type of exams we're giving our children we have enough evidence from other countries we have enough evidence from other parts of the united kingdom hello just into just into the community involvement uh brent amy's just been in contact to say it comes from those members of staff that consistently work at putting on things like macmillan morning coffee mornings um open up a secondhand clothes shop um but again it's about pressures and resources and it's hard to maintain and and this is the big kicker amy i think you've made a really good point here how's the goodwill gone out of teaching to stay on a Saturday morning or come in the evenings or, or do in the mornings to do those extra bits um, to actually keep, keep, of attitude. keep, keep that community been, going. Yeah, there has been a hardening of attitude. I, I, I still do it. I, 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 um, I had a conversation with another historian saying today how we get the history course finished. I stay behind after school. I do it because I choose to do it. But it has a knock-on effect. It means me coming home and sacrificing an hour of my time with my children in the evening sometimes. And my wife's had a serious conversation with me going like, well, we need you home. And I'm like, well, I'm at school doing what I'm doing for the kids who today, the ones that sought me out were the ones that stayed behind. During half term, I, I bring the kids in. We sit down. We have uh, a couple of hours. I buy them a Domino's pizza. Sorry, it's free sponsorship. And, and, and those, if I take, look at the correlation between the students who did well for me today, it is those that were invested because I'm building that relationship with them. And I have the relationship still with my school, but I'm a rare, I'm a rare breed. I'm 20 years in the only school I've ever taught because it's my school. It's my community. And I, a union rep, because I will fight tooth and nail to protect my colleagues and protect the ethos of my school, which 
sometimes leads me into conflict with um, the trust stroke and also my head teacher. But we share the same vision. He, he's a good guy as well. He, you know, he, he gets it. But it's really tough. And I understand why some people have just said, I can't do this any longer because you are, we're being burnt out. We're, we're, we're trying to override outcomes in society which are way beyond our control. I have no control over child's attendance or our socioeconomic status. And like the, the Monday night sort of um, um, debate, I have no control over their genetics. What I do have control over is what I teach them, how I teach them, uh, the manner of which I, I teach them. So the things within my control, I can do the best I can. And yes, I mean, we can only do so much with the resources we have, but it doesn't stop us as teachers feeling guilty and trying to get better and more because it's who we care because we care and we want we, we we're in the in the game because we care about helping young people and it's frustrating when you feel that regardless of how you do somebody above way above you is just moving grade boundaries around to make a political point sorry we have to take everything down by nine percent sorry about that you know you're just a sacrificial year it's, it's really it's not fair it's not fair so um sponsors let's have a, a, a little um plug for our sponsors pearson's mfl um which is of course um a gcse and that is an up and running by 2024 so it's rooted in um new knowledge and a knowledge that it gives the kids uh, the ability to, to i suppose navigate the modern world so they've updated their gcse and, and of course that's ready to go as well so that's a pearson's mfl um, modern foreign languages uh, GCSE um, specification ready to go from 2024 and as I said earlier uh, exam uh, modern foreign languages especially like Spanish are on the rise and as, as quoted earlier one of my students says education stroke um, languages is getting me out of here and if you look around at our teachers talk radio we do have lots of our hosts including Lucy who are abroad and even lots of teachers who teach abroad and even some of you guys who are listening in might also be listening in abroad. So I'd look forward to any of you, um, not just Adam, having a little, little chat, calling in. Amy, if you want a little chat and call in as well, looking at some of my listeners I've got here. Uh, I've got some uh, quality, quality listeners. I've got Dan. Uh, I've got ooh, School Teacher UK. I've got Sean, um, English. Uh, English. We've got Danny. We've got oh, the Stat Strangler. Well, that's, that's good. I like the idea of strangling stats that's i mean because i as much as i love stats they can sometimes be a little soulless um we've got the or loyal uh let's see we've got tom in with both toms in uh we've got kyle graham i'd love to hear from you kyle because we had a good little back and forth today about uh the great boundaries and also with uh, the other tom as well so i'd be more than happy to hear from your insight as well because i know you were, you were crunching some numbers um, especially about you know history, so history to history, history to history, and we had a good good chat about how do we get the the amount of content squeezed in. And I know I've seen uh, when I've looked at um, my paper analysis, I've noticed that one of my papers um, was lower than than the than the others, one element of it, and lo and behold, it was the element that I did last and rushed, and that's going to have to form the narrative of um, well why did some children not do so well and i'm gonna have to then explain well this is the choice i made i left this unit to the last because it was a more straightforward unit and maybe the children the children interleaving it didn't get as many opportunities they didn't do a mock exam in that unit um then my logic was it was a crossed over with english and shakespeare so it was a unit on elizabeth so i felt that actually i could use the knowledge they acquired from another core subject 
to to make um, my teaching of it a lot more efficient and, and uh, a lot quicker. But then I sacrificed the amount of times that they would actually study the unit in the hope that it was fresh near the end. Um, it didn't work out. For some of the students, it was obvious that, you know, the ones that one time they had to learn it probably needed maybe two or three times. Um, but that's again, the, the, the choices you make as a teacher, sometimes you've got to then account for that and say, this is the gamble. And it is a little bit of a gamble, isn't it? It's a bit of a gamble sometimes that you take to, um, to kind of, uh, well, play the game, guess the questions, organize your units, allocate your time. Um, but on the allocation of time, and I'm going to contradict myself as a union rep, we did have strikes in there. Um, they did have an impact. How much impact, we'll never know. We had the COVID situation. These students were year eight and year nine. We've had changes in behaviour. We've had, um, I suppose, a very different situation in society to deal with, even the recruitment crisis, uh, how many specialists are now um, not teaching subjects, that, you know, how many non-specialists are teaching subjects they shouldn't be teaching and what impact does that have on exam grades? Uh, it was interesting seeing music um, declining. I know that one of the most successful subjects in our school was actually music, um, but the class size was one of the smallest options. And if you are a trust looking at that, you're saying to yourself, well, why are we running an option? We've only got a handful of kids in even though it was one of the most successful options. I felt my numbers, because of the EBAC in history and geography, have been pulled up, which then leads me to a situation where I'm teaching children who I normally may not have taught history or geography to, and it leads to conversations of, well, how good is your maths? Well, should you be taking geography at GCSE if your maths isn't? And how good is your English? Should you be taking history? And I've never done that because I've always, I'll take any student as long as they're willing to learn. But this has impacts when you are being engineered at option level to take subjects in order to create data in order to, um, and you think, well, why, why are we doing this? We're doing this because the will of Ofsted is that you have to have a certain EBAC percentage. And that's sort of, well, why are we doing that? We're doing that not to service the needs of the students. We're doing that to service the needs of the greater data god whoever that data god is. Um, so, yes, I'm really glad to hear if Kyle would like to, to call in as well. My brother's actually called Kyle. It's another another matter entirely. I think we've lost Adam. Um, since we've lost Adam, we'll respond to some of the questions I've got. Uh, just about to sit down and to food, buddy, or I would, oh, well, enjoy your food. Hopefully it's not a, a crisp sandwich, my friend. I've still got some cheeto cheese and onion left over from my last last trip home. Uh, the culinary delight it is. In fact, Kyle, both and I, you know, coming from where we come from, would be interested to have that conversation of why is the Northern Irish, you know, exam system so much better? Because I'm 29 years out of it. I may need a little bit of a refresher. But it's interesting um, how there's a massive difference in the outcomes in Northern Ireland and Wales and Scotland. Um, and that may need me a bit of drilling into. Um the London Challenge 2003-2011 deals uh, thing played a part in the current successes. We see the outcomes of disadvantaged children in the capital, generally London. This is interesting. Generally, uh, comprehensive used a dire reputation back in the 1990s. Uh, London LC, London Challenge, provided an intensive support and resources schools. I'd really be interested to hear about that deal. Um, if you want to ring in and let me know about that, because that sounds um, like something that has helped create some cultural capital motivation um, help create more positive outcomes. Um, it might explain a little bit of the the, the London bubble, uh, so to speak, as well. So um, 
Cassandra, I completely agree. Uh, parents don't engage with their children. I've seen that. Um, parents even yes, that's correct, Cassandra. They, they don't turn up the ones you need. Uh, community involvement involves men. Yes, Amy's already said that, and that's up to date on the the messages. So drilling into some of the numbers, um, and and the numbers are are important. Boys and girls. Now this is quite an interesting one. Um, the gap between boys and girls has fallen, and we know that there's always been a gap between boys and girls at GCSEs. Piaget kind of has it always been explained as a kind of maturation thing where uh, boys' brain development, girls' brain development is a little bit different, and, and girls technically mature um, faster than boys. And at GCSE level, they haven't fully caught up. And by A level, I think it's right. Usually, it writes itself, and by degree level, it's it's gone the other way. There's normally that pattern. Um, but of course, there was a lot put into raising boys' achievement. We used to have programs like that, raising boys' achievement at school, only to then raise the boys' achievement and then have to do a program about raising girls' achievement. And I'm not a big fan of that either because I think it just should be raising achievement and looking at, you know, it's the same as drilling into different subgroups. Kids don't always reflect, and there's always outliers, and there's always people that don't fit into those those parameters. That you know. My best ever, you know, one of my best ever students was predicted a level four and got a level nine. Um, I had a student today who was predicted a level five and got a level nine. Um, so you're, you're kind of, people can break the, the cycle and equally the, the big discussion about, you know, the, um, the SATs at primary school can also be misleading when you see predictions. You see a child coming in with a prediction and I'm not having a go at primaries. I know what they have to do at primaries are brilliant. And in fact, one of the things I often say at GCSE results day is this is the combination of 13 years, 12, 13 years of hard work. Same as A-levels, that's 14 years of hard work. You know, students just don't show up at secondary school. They have had years and years of dedication and hard work poured into them, not just by their parents, but by their primary school teachers. And it always be, must be strange for the primary school teachers when they see the GCSE grades from some children popping up on Facebook, it's the same with me when I see my um, my degree, you know, students getting their degrees out and I think, I wonder, you know, do they still think, oh, what part did I play in that overall life journey of a child? I have them for GCSE, but then somebody takes them over for their T-levels, their A-levels or their, or their vocational qualifications and then somebody else might take it over for that. But we, we, we form part of their story at a certain time um, and so often you don't always see the acknowledgement of the previous people that came before um, and that that's that's important to, to notice as well that you, you, the impact you can have can be sometimes you know not taken into consideration. Um, so that can happen as well. But the boys and girls gap has narrowed, um, which is interesting. And I'd like to know any any takes on why that ha- happened. Um, my personal opinion on that is, I think terminal exams. Um, I find terminal exams suit boys a bit more than suit girls. Uh, I'm making a general sweeping statement there that is open for interpretation and open for discussion, absolutely. But I find that, you know, some of the boys going into exam halls are a bit more laid back and blasé. I know that I had to pull some of the, some of my really high-achieving girls in and say, look, sit down, have a cup of tea before the exam, have some chocolate, have some bananas, chill, calm, calm, because they were going in almost as highly strung as a Stradivarius violin. They were just about to implode. And I know there is definitely some work being done on on who how people cope with exams and and how they suit certain things. So I think the terminal nature of the end of leading up to an end exam may suit boys more than girls. That's why the gap is closed. Again, that's open to interpretation. It's open to comment. It's open to anybody who's um, 
has anything different than that. If anyone wants to call in that one, more than thing. Um, oh, Tom HB said the most popular, third most popular subject this year was non-EVAC. That's true. Um, computing, I think, was that computing? I think computing was very, very popular. Um, economics is growing, further math is growing, definitely shifting towards, I think, um, subjects that they're considered to be future subjects. The STEM subjects uh, are growing as well. I think the most the most popular GCSE was the uh, science, not actually maths. It was interesting to know there were more entries for science than there were maths. Um, don't again understand why that's the case, but that was the case, um, which which is, I think, well, something in that, isn't there? There's got to be always something in that. Uh, so the boys versus the girls, the gap was definitely closed. Um, and, and that's, uh, boys have narrowed the attainment gap slightly with a 19.1 achieving top grades compared to 24.9 for girls. So there's still girls are achieving boys, but the gap is getting narrower. 5.8% uh, is points gap compared to 7.4 last year and 65 in 2019. So uh, again, compared to 2019, where they're putting it back to their normal rates, the gap is slightly narrower. It's the narrowest lead enjoyed by the girls since 2009. So there could be something in that about resilience or, again, I'll put that out to the floor of why have, you know, the boys, the gap between the boys and the girls narrowed to their best boys performance since 2009. So there's some, some detail in that that might be useful to understand. Um, going down to breaking down specific subjects. Yes, uh, maths remains the second most popular subject. Uh, both business studies and statistics saw an increase in the number of people taking them. Um, as well, and I mentioned before about the increase in Chinese, Russian, and music actually had the largest percentage fall. Um, and again, that might be staffing, the lack of, I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't help when you get members of the government saying we're not having people do Mickey Mouse degrees in arts and music and history and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's interesting the mood music seems to be Rishi Sunak's thing of you know extra mads that does seem to be a, a sort of shift into and that's it's no bad thing because we need to evolve society and subjects have always had to evolve um and but there definitely does seem to be a preference now moving more towards i think the practical subjects in that sense um right differences in um north side this is what nick gibbs said he said the taming gap was narrowing and from 2010 uh, we got it down to 9.1 which is brilliant and the pandemic then has caused that to go back. They've got £5 billion catch-up. Now, the interesting thing is they suggest that the £5 billion is getting caught up, that we're getting back to normal. What I'm going to ask the floor is, do you think that this £5 billion, have you seen any of this £5 billion, is what I'm saying? Have you seen any of the impact of this £5 billion? Um, are they correct? Are things moving more in a positive direction? Or, as I feel, the gaps are getting bigger, attendance is getting lower, and the children who've got the cultural capital, the children who've got the rescuing factors, the children who've got more advantages, seem to be coping better than those who don't. And that's my feeling, and the evidence does support that, but the government are assuring us that, ensuring the general public, that £5 billion has been spent. The free schools project that they've launched this week, they say that's going to address some of this. Do we think that is enough? 
do we think that is going to solve this attainment gap from advantage to disadvantage? Do we think that we are seeing this positive impact of this five billion pounds in school? Or are they just basically telling us one thing and the reality on the ground is something different? So more than happy for anybody to give me any thoughts and feelings on that. Um, in the meantime, we have the ghost children. One story that dominated education last year was the ghost children. Um, the data from the Department of Education shows the first time of the academic year, 125,000 children missed more school days than they attended. 90,000 secondary school students, one in three, that's 36%, are more than double the rate in autumn 2019. Um, so what are we doing with those? And why are they missing so much? Um, another statistic that came out was the top grades fall in private schools and a rise in state secondaries. So in England, the proportion of grades seven, uh, and eight, which is an A grade, and above in independent schools dropped, dropped slightly on both 2019 and 2022. So in comparison, top grades achieved by students in state secondaries was slightly up. So top grades in private schools fall, state secondaries slightly up. However, the gap between school types remains wide. Just 19.1% of grades in state secondaries were seven above, compared with 46.6 in independent schools. So let me just say that again, it's nearly double. So just 19.1% of grades in state secondaries were seven and above, compared with 46.6 in independent schools. Selective schools or grammar schools remain the highest achievers, which Adam mentioned earlier on, 59.3% of grades completely seems unaffected. Now, here's my kicker to that. When somebody says to me, how did, you, how did your school perform against the national average? Well, how am I to be judged in the national average when the national average contains independent and selective grammar schools? Surely I should be judged, if I am to be judged, on where I am nationally against ceteris paribus and all things being equal. I think, again, when you have that conversation and somebody says to you, oh, where is your subject nationally on average and where's your school versus the national average? <laughs> that national average is skewed by 59.3% of grade seven and above our grammar schools uh, students. Um, I know I've had a conversation recently with one of my senior members of staff because one of my exam papers, um, a very unusual little unit, I'm the only one of a handful of schools in the country that does it, and I'm not letting it go because I want to study Afghanistan and Iraq and 9-11, and the students love to study it too, but as she rightly pointed out to me and says, well, there's only a couple of hundred students in the country studying that unit, and should you be up against a grammar school or an independent school to take that unit, then you are going to suffer. <laughs> so I've had a conversation where I have to think about what I'm teaching and to choose a more popular option to ensure that statistically speaking, I don't run the risk of competing against independent and, 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 and uh, grammar schools. That's, me depriving my students of a unit that they want to study because I fear that I'm not, I'm going to be judged or my grade boundaries are going to be not as good. In other words, my results are going to dip and my, the children's performance is going to dip if I choose the wrong unit. <laughs> so that's what, that, that's what the impact that can have. It can change your curriculum based upon ensuring that you, you choose a popular option so that statistically speaking, you are um, less likely to run file of um, a couple of schools which are, you know, state grammar, uh, grammars and independent schools. 
And that is a conversation I've had to have, and I've got to drill through my numbers to see whether that unit um, either adds to um, my overall pass rate or takes away. And at the moment, actually, I'm winning the argument because it is more significantly better. However, this is one year, and I may lose that argument because, you know, um, which is, yeah, anyway. But I'm more than happy for um, for you guys to to any of the points I've made, uh, please call in. Please give me any of your opinions. Um, I'm sure I've said something that's probably annoyed you. By all means, please do. I like a good discussion. Uh, these are the thoughts of, of a, a very tired and emotional Irishman who's trying to figure out why is the education system in England not as good as it is in the other constituent parts of the United Kingdom. I still can't get over this. I can't get over the fact, first time probably human recorded history, Northern Ireland is winning. Yay! <laughs> Why? Yay! We won something. Fantastic. Apart from, you know, Rory when he wins the, the when he wins the golf. And maybe the rugby when we, we hopefully win that soon, but that's the thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. So um one of the things I, I touched upon as well was um, stratification and Max Weber, who talks about how correlation social stratification. According to Weber, the higher your socioeconomic status, the better your life chances. Educators are one of the most important predictors of people's life chances. Better educated people are more likely to work and tend to earn more. At the age of 40, the medium university graduate earns roughly 80% more than the median non-graduate. How the growth of higher education is, is proportionally, uh, disproportionately benefit those from disadvantaged backgrounds. The 10 years after GCSEs, over 70% of those who went to a private school and graduated from university compared with just under half of those from the richest fifth of the families from state schools and fewer than 20% of those from the poorest fifth. Um, of families so you see what happens after GCSEs which is of course always um, interesting when you see where your students go and what they do and what they become um, and how what journey they take already you can see that there is a clear path for the successful GCSE students you have the conversation you can already see well I've got level nine in maths and physics and biology and chemistry what are you going to study well, I'm going to a sixth form to study and, you're, and you, hear, you hear statistics mad and you know the conversations and then you see others going, well, what are you going to do now? I don't know. Uh, what, what did you need to get into college? Don't know. There are some students just falling through the cracks and I think, again, bad advice, not a clear path. Um, the number of NEET has increased uh, along with the number of people who are not attending school. Um the T-levels don't seem to be fully worked out yet. So the non-academic path route doesn't look as clear. Um, and it doesn't look as if it is as clear as it should be. Now, according to um, sixth forms, colleges sixth forms are going to lower their expectations and their, um, their entry rates this time for this year. And that mirrors a little bit of what we saw with universities saying, you know, everybody get a university place this year. We'll, we'll get you all sorted. You want to go to university? There's there's some university course out there. That was the kind of general um, conversation that was had last week with A levels. That does seem to be a similar um, sort of take on um, what colleges are saying that they will take students. However, some colleges will only take certain students for certain subjects if they have um, a grade boundary, and that brings you to this, where your 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 life could be a sliding door scenario where I have three students who are missing out on their history grades by one mark. And that missing out on one mark, as one student said to me today, they need a six to study that at um, their college for uh, A-level. Now, 
I'm happy with that student being good enough, even though the exam grade they've got is a five at the moment. I take the risk of an A level because where they started to where they're going, they've got all the attributes, the skills that they need. They will, for want of a better word, to use an athlete in, in vernacular, they are an up and coming athlete. They are, um, a, you know, a wonder kid. They will increase, I think, their um, their academic ability as they get older. Um, and, and my instinct of 20 years says that they have all the ingredients they're going to need. However, at the moment, they are at the stage where there is one mark potentially preventing them from taking what they want to do at A-level. Now, they may then take a different subject at A-level, which might send them off on a completely different career path. And that may change the outcome of their life. I, I know this actually happened to me. I got seven GCSEs. I could resit seven GCSEs uh, in, in secondary school in Northern Ireland. I passed them. And if I hadn't have got those seven GCSEs, I wouldn't have went to the grammar school. And if I didn't go to the grammar school, I wouldn't have come across one of the most amazing teachers, uh, Dr. A.D. McDonald, who taught me history and politics. And he took the rough diamond that I was, who didn't know what a paragraph was, and he taught me how to use the full stop. Um, now, he, that changed my outcome. But that, without a shadow of a doubt, that's one of the reasons I got to university was going to that grammar school and not give me the confidence to do all the things in the rest of my life. Now, if I hadn't have got all of my GCSEs, I wouldn't have got into that stage. And then my I wouldn't be having this conversation. Now. I'd be living in a different place, possibly a completely different version of me. Um, who's to say that I may not have worked out in the end? And some people do in a roundabout way sometimes uh, take a long journey around in education to serve to, to success. But at the same time, is playing God with the outcomes of student futures based upon an exam system, as we know, is not fundamentally 100% airtight. It's not fair. And I've seen the grade boundaries being shifted down in A-levels. And today I, I looked at my grade boundaries of 15 marks um, for a difference. And I know that uh, my MADS colleague was telling me that in the grade boundary between four and five, there was, I think, 23 marks difference year on year, which means that it's going to lead to more students potentially missing out on their choice of place. But also there is the knock-on effect of the confidence that may erode from them. They may say, I'm not good enough. And then they may change their outcome. They may, they may then say, you know, hit their confidence. They may, I'm not going to do that now. I'm not good enough for that. So this is life-defining, and I know that because at 11 years old, I sat an exam called the 11 plus, and that changed the outcomes for some of my friends. It sent some of my friends to a grammar school, it sent some of my friends to a secondary school, and I always felt it was too young, too young to decipher the successful from not. And I also know that some of us who went to secondary schools felt like failures, and I know that's one of the conversations that you often hear in results day of like a field. And as one of the children said to me and came to me, I've let you down, sir, I failed. And I had to look and go, no, you haven't. You haven't. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. You haven't failed. The fact you sat the exam and I had to sort of reevaluate and go, you didn't fail. But how many children today, how many are going to fail? And it must be the most horriblest thing. And I always remember my best friend when he got his GCSEs, he didn't get a single GCSE. He didn't get a single GCSE. He was diagnosed at the age of 23 with um, dyslexia, a severe form of dyslexia. And he went to university at 24. He got a first class honours degree. Um, and and his, his journey is one of those that always reminds me that uh, he overrid that. He repeated his English three times. 
uh, repeated his mads twice, but he was so determined to get it. But I'll never forget on that day when we were all smiling and getting our exam results, uh, he was broken, absolutely broken. And um, it is really, really, really difficult to lift people back up when, when, they, when they feel like they're not worth. And I think that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for some individuals, their exam results mirrors in some ways their possible feelings about how they feel. So a lot to lot to discuss there. If anybody would like to, more than happy for you to have a little chat, call in on any of those, tell me your story of today. If anybody's got any any brilliant stories, any fantastic sort of um sort of uh good good feel good stories. Give me a feel good one. Give me one where you know somebody's done something amazing. I had a couple of day myself um, where you know you just think, wow, that, that kid has overcome adversity, and 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 it's it, I think that's why we do it. So if you've any of those um, stories today, I'm more than happy for you to to think. I'm just looking through any of our comments. The irony of GCSE kids having to learn stratification unit, knowing Weber inside out, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's really, really good. So kids are, are learning about uh, stratification and, and social statistics while actually being part of the, those social statistics. But isn't that self-awareness? Isn't that the same thing in myself? I was aware of the poverty levels around me when I was a young person and knowing the statistics and, and even knowing that, that that awareness of what you're up against actually can unlock within the students that kind of um, reality of why they have to work. I mean, it's it's always a good thing when you, when you sort of have to sit them down and say, you know, I do that in my area, you're working against, come on, fight the system. You, you, you are not being given the same advantages. Do you know that? And, and it is interesting when you have those conversations that the children don't see the world that way. They don't understand the bigger game that goes on. I mean, a lot of parents don't understand the predicted grades are sometimes calculated from what their income, their postcode. I mean, insurance, everything now is algorithmed, isn't it? Everything's algorithmed. How much you're, you're, you know, how much you pay for your house stroke is just sometimes determined by how good the educational results. I mean, there you go. Your GCSE results can influence the price of your property. True. They actually build it into the, um, the estate agents. And you know that with primary schools, oh, yeah, it's even more so with primary schools. A good primary school can increase the property value. But what judges the good primary school? Oh, okay, what's its SATS results? Okay, what's its Ofsted? What judges a good secondary school? Today, the newspapers are going to be full of, you know, the, the good looks, the, the good stories, the smiling student. Holding, and how, how much more, I notice that in the news now, are schools putting into, here's our results, here's our success, come to our school. It's marketization, it's a business, isn't it? But, of all, but here's the, the unwritten rule and the, and the horrible thing to admit. The system has to. Does it have to have winners and losers? In order for you to do well against your cohort, people have to lose out. That's a horrible thing to say, but it's true, isn't it? In order for some people to have success, others have to lose out. There has to be a percentage of nines and eights and sevens and six and fives and fours. So you're almost saying to some students, oh, well, there you go. And we even, we don't even realize we do it. We go higher ability, lower. We used to do that, higher ability, lower ability, middle ability. And even when I'm drilling through this data, I'm going, oh, here's my high ability student. They've got, I'm going, stop. Whoa, 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 whoa. There I'm doing that. That's completely contradictory to the likes of Carol Dweck. We're almost saying, same as a school, that's a good school. Why is it a good school? They get good results. 
Mm, so the data tells you that. So what about the rest? What about the community? What about the what about all the soft skills that they, they do? What about the happiness of the children? What about the happiness of the children? The point in children getting nine in straight nines and, and you, you've caused them a mental health crisis to, to get those grades. Is that really worth the price to be paid? Is that what we are? You know, but like football managers winning the league, we have to win the league every year. If you're not winning the league, then you know it's you're not a good manager. They said that was about we are there to produce outcomes. We're there to produce the grades. Am I? Is that how I'm judged? You know, today that's what I felt my worth was. What's my residual? Oh, what student? And I have these horrible thoughts. What student? has pulled my grade averages down. Oh, you know, and I've had that. Oh, what primary school has given me that child's grade that I have to then inherit? Oh, and I had one today where they were predicted a level seven. The largest, highest grade they got was a two. And what do you do with that? It's minus five. And I'm, you know, I'm like, okay. So when I'm having the conversation with my performance management and I look at my data which you shouldn't take into account but people still do, you're not meant to but they do don't they, you're judged and then you look down the league tables don't you, you go where is my subject in comparison to the rest of the school, where am I am I red, am I purple am I green, am I going to be one of those that's going to have those awkward conversations of what happened or am I going to be one of those, same in a school or in school are there some student? Are there some subjects that do well, but do they do well because they are pushier? They hog all the homework. They have more resources. They have more kudos. So in school, you get winners and losers. In the exam system, you get winners and losers. We know this, but we buy into it then, and we we kind of like we talk about oh, they, our kids do well. Tom Tom alluded earlier on. You know, kids do well. You go, oh, these are the kids, my kids' results. The first thing my wife wants to know, how did the kids do? And I'm going, yeah, I did. And I'm like, whoa, not I, them. Them, no, 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 not my results, <laughs> their results. But we are quick to be criticized for their results. But also, we're also quick to go, oh, my kids did well. And it's a, it's a, it's a really, really strange one. It's, it's I, I find myself contradicted sometimes and find myself, being contradictory because I want the kids to do well I want them to get the grades but there's part of me thinking how far do I have to go to get these kids over the line and and do how far do I have to push and and I remember that I, I knew what type of teacher I was but seven years ago when one of my colleagues turned around back in the days when there was uh, resets uh, and um, modular GCSEs and I had a student come to me saying sir I've got a B grade uh, an A grade sorry I've got an A grade and the head of a subject wanted to put that student in for a reset based upon the fact that their predict was an A star. And the kid was looking at me going, sir, I am happy with that A grade. And, you know, I'm like, well, in what universe is a child getting an A grade? Not good enough. And that's, I knew that's where we were going. I knew that's where education was going. When somebody was being put in for a reset to get an A star because the predicted grade was an A star because that didn't look good in a data spreadsheet. And I... I can't tell you that I did not hold back and how I felt with my colleague at that time. I'm not going to be unprofessional and say who was, when was, etc. I'm going to say that I pretty much told them to back off. And they'd gone to the parents and said to the parents, oh, you want the best for your child, you want, the child wants the better. They want an A-star. They didn't ask the child. Didn't ask the child. The child didn't want to do the... the, the, the and, and equally, um, when I was involved, I was the child's tutor. 
and they came to me saying I'm being put under a huge amount of pressure. And I felt that member staff is only interested in his grades, only interested in what the students do in his class and only interested in his results because it's important to him because then he's doing his job. And I had to say to them, if I behave the way you did and every single member staff, all the 12 or 13 teachers who have that child, what do you think that's going to do to that child if we're all just coming out and go, you must do my revision, you must do my... Um, and that's the one thing we forget about some children just basically cannot cope with the huge amount of volume content and the current GCSE system, which I don't think is fair. Um, but you're more than welcome to disagree, more than welcome to um, <laughs> have a... Tell me what you think, but these are the, these are my random thoughts. Uh, what made me cry today, um, Mr. Kelly again? Is a kid I solidly predicted a two, but always was used to positive praise to the hill to secure a four. Oh yes! Oh, tell me about that, please. Ring in and tell me about that. Email from the kid said you still wanted me to get that pass, and you always believed in me. That's why we do it. That yeah, I, yeah. That that's what it is, it, isn't it? And you go. You know, whether you whether you got that kid over the line or not, the fact that you've left that impression, and yet that is only, here's the thing, that is only a four, isn't it? That is only a four. It's not a nine or an eight or a seven. That's a four. It's a scraping a pass. But the fact of the matter is that could be the catalyst to that child's feelings if somebody believed in me. I got that. And that could be life-defining. You don't know the impact that could have. And, and equally on your own, you, look what that's done to you. That that is, you know, that is that moment, isn't it? That is that um, the, that uh, that moment that, that defines us. Is this is why I do this? This is why it's important. This is why we fight for every child. This is why you don't say I'm only teaching certain children because that outcome does have does have huge implications. And 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 when you do get those, they they keep you in it. They keep you. They keep you so in it. And I had three of those today where it was, you know, one one student came to me and says, I thought I messed up the exam. And they were they had a right go at me. They they literally tore strips off me on the morning of the exam. I'm not prepared. You haven't taught us this. You haven't taught us that. They literally tore strips off me. And I took it because I thought, oh, maybe I have, maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't. So seeing her in the exam, first thing someone went, I did it, I did it. And I looked at her straight in the face and said, I told you, please do me one favour. Stop destroying yourself like this. You are amazing. And she looked back and she went, I believe it now. I believe it now. And I'm thinking, what, you didn't believe it before? What do you think I've been saying to you for two years? You're absolutely brilliant. You were better than I was at your age. Come on. And it's only that the exam results helped validate. But it's the fact that I had to take a lot of emotional pounding from the student to literally convince them of their own worth. And even with me saying, come on, well, well, they had to see. And that's the good thing about the results for some. It is validation. It is the kind of, I deserve more. I am worth more. I worked hard for this. And there's nothing better feeling when you know that some students have worked really, really hard. And you open their results and you think you deserve that. You've earned that. And that's you. you. You've you done that. And you get parents saying, well, thank you for what you've done. You're, well, you're the one read the, reading the bedtime story when they were two and three years old. You're the one that talked to the museums. You're the one that, you know, that made them sit down. I said that to one mother. It's like, how much have you been through? She's like, oh, tell me about it. And some parents go through because their kids, you know, they, they have to really fight hard tooth and nail to get the children to study and revise. It's a, it's a really demanding thing. On, and, and a lot of people or parents will tell you that. 
it's, it's a real emotional roller coaster they go through because if you push the kid too hard, they re- react the other way. If you, you have to you have to be very tolerant and understanding and the mood swings and the but the brain. The fact that they're going through the teenage rewiring of the brain from age 14 and we're forcing them into these, these exams. No wonder it's an emotional roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster for me and I'm a mature guy, so God knows what they're feeling. So but that's an amazing story. Thank you for that, Mr. Kelly. That's absolutely exactly why we do that. You know, when you get that that one, doesn't it? That that one that you just yeah, I've I've really I've done my job there. That is, for want of a better word, priceless. The data won't tell that story. The the spreadsheet won't do that. What does that is is that child's memory will be of that teacher who made a difference, who got them over the line. It's, you know, it's the X factor. Is Tom asked that question the other night, isn't it? How much difference can a teacher make? Sometimes to some students we make a massive difference to others. We don't have to be there. I mean, one of my students got to level nine. I was honest with me and said, she didn't need me. Basically, she used me for in-depth and intellectual conversations. We were having lots of discussions about the trans issue recently because, you know, it was way off the history curriculum. She didn't need me. She just basically enjoyed my adult company, basically, because she's more mature than I am in some ways. She's gone over to Cambridge and Oxford. She's a very mature young lady and, and knows exactly what she's doing. So what, what difference did I make to her level nine? Not really. I know I didn't. But I know that she looked back, fondly back on some of the deeper things that I asked, some of the bigger questions I asked, some of the softer skills I may have he- headed towards. Um, See, so you, you don't always make as big a difference, but you're there and, and you're providing that service as a teacher because that's what we are here to do. We're provi- we provide a service, don't we? And it's a selfless service. It's a service that is emotionally tiring. And I'm going to speak to our our sponsors and then hopefully I'm going to sit down and and rest. Um, So our sponsors are um, Pearson's Modern Foreign Language, uh, 2024. They are rooted in uh, new communication of, uh, well, up-to-date knowledge. Uh, And that is fantastic for our young people, especially since languages are growing. And as one student said to me, I'm learning languages to get out of here, Mr. Pogue. So I, I, I think they're really, really important. One of my greatest regrets is not taking a language beyond GCSE. I have French at GCSE which I got to lose two weeks ago when I was on holiday at French uh, in France. Um, and interestingly, uh, French with an, an Irish accent still sounds like French with an Irish accent. So, you know, bonjour is still sounds with a guy, Irish guy speaking French. I always find that funny that people don't realise that whatever accent in English you have, when you're learning a foreign language, you carry that accent. So I'll be interested to know if Pearson's modern foreign languages have Scouse, Brummie, <laughs> and also all the other brilliant dialects of these islands. I love the dialects and I love the accents of these islands. And some of them are absolutely brilliant. Um, So, yeah, hopefully Pearson's uh, modern foreign languages. Do Pearson's French, you know, when they teach English in France, I wonder what accent do they do? Do they do the assured, pronounced, I suppose? It's the same as, like, the English textbooks in France. Do they have... what, What do they have as cartoons? Do they have people in red, white and blue, you know, um, towels. Do they have, like, football guys? I just would love to see a French textbook, which is teaching them English, in the same way that our old French textbooks used to have Gaston with a beret, onions around his neck, and a cigarette hanging out. I never understood why that, and I never will that for life of me, understand why my old French GCSE was directing me to go left at the horse butchers. But Pearson's Modern Foreign Languages is very different. It is rooted in 
the modern, not in the past. And that is ready to go in 2024. So that's uh, Patreon's MFL. So thank you for listening tonight and thanks for the contributions. And 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 if you are a TCSE teacher today, um, just remember exactly what I started with. And this is how I'll finish it today. Um, and this is, we all know, Many of you have been feeling nervous. You don't deserve to feel like this. Many of you had trouble sleeping the night before. Yeah. Congratulations, you got what you wanted. But if you didn't, please try not to worry. Whatever the, the grades your students got, you are worth a million times more. I'm proud to be a teacher. Proud to be a teacher's talk radio host. Please come and join us. And we have plenty of room for uh, other individuals to come and join the roster. Always looking for new talent. It's good fun, good crack. And uh, it's really good CPD as well. And uh, it's always very interesting. So please bear that in mind as well. You can also listen back to uh, any of our podcasts uh, on Podbean and on the Twitter spaces. And some really good ones out there as well. Monday nights was an absolute stonker. Uh, I'm going to download that and listen to that as well. And please, again, listen out for any of our other uh, future spaces coming up. We'll be back next Thursday night where we'll do uh, probably the outcomes of some of these things. What comes out in the wash, we'll have probably a bit more analysis of what comes out about the GCSEs because it's still a bit raw um, and I'm still processing some of the data to try and figure out where the chips lie. So they were just sort of the top end stuff about the boys and the girls and, and the regional variations. I still think there's definitely more to come out about, you know, uh, where we're going, what we're doing. And considering this is educational week in the government, they're going to have an educational week every couple of weeks. I still I think we're gearing up towards a general election and hopefully uh, education will be more discussed and hopefully that will produce what I hope is more evidence-based policy which can help us, those of us who are fully committed to, to changing the outcomes, like Mr Kelly who's just made my evening with that story by the way um, trying to change the outcomes of the young people we care so much about so take care and you've been wonderful, thank you my friends, Good night.